Follow me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and Colossians chapter number 3. Matthew 6 and Colossians chapter 3. Matthew 6, Colossians 3. Uh, these two passages uh, have served as our foundational text for this particular series that we have been in uh, over a period of five weeks. Today is lesson number five. We're teaching from the subject entitled Kingdom Mindset. Kingdom Mindset. And so the objective of this series is to teach you how to transition to a kingdom mindset for the purpose of manifesting God's kingdom in the earth. If you look in verse number 33 of Matthew chapter 6, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That speaks to priority there. He says, And his righteousness and all these things shall be what? Added unto you. The Amplified for this word seek expands it and says, Aim at and strive after. Aim at strive after the kingdom of God and his way of doing and being right. Whose way of doing it and being right? God's way of doing and being right. Well, God's way of doing and God's way of being right is most definitely different from the world's way of doing and the world's way of being right. The way the world does things is not always the way God does things. Amen. And what the world calls right is not necessarily what God calls right. Not only is God's way different from the world's way, but God's way is also different from man's way. Amen. And that's why it's important for you and I uh, to seek God's way of doing things and God's way of being right. If you look at the NLT of that uh, version of the Bible, verse number 33. You can see it on the screen there. Uh, the New Living Translation says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Live right. Live righteously. Now, right, not based on the world standard. Right, not based on a cultural stance, but right based on the kingdom of God. What God calls right what God says right is. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So we see here that seeking the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God becomes priority, then we have the provision that comes from the king. Can you see that? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, the things that Gentiles, things that non-covenant people go after, he said, all these things will be provided for you. So we are then encouraged through the scripture to go after and be concerned with what God requires of us. If you look in verse number one of Colossians chapter number three, and we'll see this same parallel uh, as we see in Matthew chapter six in verse number 33. Verse number one says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek. Now this word seek, remember I gave you two definitions. Hey man, how you doing? It's good to see you. Remember I gave you two definitions 
of this word seek. One of them is be about. Say be about. about. Say it again, be be about. And also desire. Say desire. So when he says seek, he's saying be about. When he says seek, he's saying desire. Be about those things which are above. Desire those things which are above. See, Christians, we just can't limit our desires to things that are below. We must also have desire for things above. Well, Christ said it on the right hand of God. Verse number two, he says, set your affection. Affection. Set your affection. Entrance oneself in. Entrance oneself in. Affection. Also translated mind. Set your mind on things above. If you don't ever set your mind on things above, you'll never be about things above. If you don't set your mind on things above, you'll never desire things above. On things above, not on things on the earth. Now look at verse number two from the Message Bible, and I just want to read that very last sentence there in the Message Bible. Let's read it together. Ready? Read. See things from God's perspective. His is God. See things from his perspective, God's perspective. So what do we have here? We have God's way of doing things, God's way of being right, God's perspective. Now, when we seek the kingdom of God, we're seeking God's way of doing things. We're seeking God's way of being right, and we're seeking God's perspective. Now, so when we talk about now God's perspective, God's perspective is a kingdom perspective. It is a perspective that requires two things. Number one, it requires us to be born again. Secondly, it requires us to be renewed in our minds, in the spirit of our minds, as Paul put it, in Ephesians. So I have to be born again because remember, unless I'm born again, I can't ever know. I can't ever experience the kingdom of God. If I'm not born again, I can't enter, I can't experience the kingdom of God. So I have to be born again and not just being born again, but also having my mind renewed. That I'll never be able to experience the kingdom of God until I'm born again and until I have my mind renewed. Now let's go to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Now remember being born again enables us to experience the kingdom of God. Being born again. Remember Jesus told Nicodemus Except you be born again, born from above, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't become acquainted with the kingdom of God. You can't experience or partake of the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, unless you are born of the spirit and of the water, you can't even enter into, which is to experience. You can't experience the kingdom of God. Remember the illustration of the mothers who were with child. Except the child is born of the mother, it cannot enter the world. It can't ever experience the world. And likewise, until we are born again, born from above, we can't even enter the kingdom of God, experience the kingdom of God. Now watch this. So again, being born again enables me to experience the kingdom, 
but having my mind renewed equips me to express the kingdom. When my mind is renewed, not only am I in it, but I'm expressing the kingdom. The kingdom is flowing out of me. Everything about my life represents the kingdom of God. Can I get amen to that? Amen. Now, keep in mind, again, I want to go back to uh, the analogy we used last week. Remember the analogy, the home that you grew up in, the house that you were raised in, you had parents, you had a guardian, you had someone there, and they had the primary responsibility of shaping your mind in that home for the world that you lived in. All right? And so that house, those homes represent the kingdom of God. Your house was in the world, but in many cases, your parents warned you against letting the world in the house. Right? And, and so they, they, they shaped your mind. They, they had a form for your mind because they wanted you to think a certain way. All right? Are you listening to me? And so he says now in, 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 in verse, num verse number two of Romans, look what he says. He says, and be not what? Conform to this world. Conform. Con, wit, match, coincide. Uh, form deals with shape. That if you're going to pour concrete, you must first decide the shape you want. And once you decide the shape you want, then the contractor comes in and sets the form. Once he sets the form, you can look at the form and determine the shape. You can have, you can have a, a driveway that looks like the state of Texas. You can have a driveway that reflects a star, uh, whatever you want it to look like. You can have a driveway that has the figure of a man. If that's the shape you want, well, once you decide the shape, then they set the form. Once the concrete is laid, now that shape is there. And that's how it is with our minds. So he tells us, don't conform to the world. Don't let the world set the forms of how you think. Because if the world sets the form of how you think, then your mind is going to be shaped to think like the world. He says, don't conform to the world, but you be what? Transform. Trans means to go from one to another. Transit, one to another place. Translate is one to another place. He says, but be transformed. In other words, you go from this shape and be transformed by the word of God. Let the word of God now becomes the forms that shape your thinking. Why is that important? Because it's then you will know what is good, acceptable, and pleasing or perfect unto God. And see, our parents in the house that we grew up in, they set the form, and by setting the form, they determined for us as children what was good, what was acceptable, and what was pleasing or perfect unto them. Now, it didn't matter what was going on in the house around the corner. It didn't matter what was going on down the street at the park. None of that mattered what was happening at the mall because they understood they shaped your mind in this house. 
Are you listening? And so as a result of that, they told you what was good, they told you what was acceptable, and they told you what was pleasing. Now you'll go out in the world or go to your neighbor's house or go to somebody else's house, and, and what your parents say is good, somebody else will say, well, that's not good. You don't have to do that. What are they trying to do? They're trying to set different forms. They're trying to reshape your thinking. If they can reshape your thinking, they can change your behavior. That's why you have to be careful about who's trying to set forms. Not only just in your mind, but also in the minds of your children. Amen? I don't know about you, but we've all, as parents, we've always had to go in and pull up some forms that somebody's trying to set in the minds of our children. Where you get that from? Who told you that? Who said that? No, we don't do that. You, what are you doing? You're pulling up forms and resetting. Resetting forms because you're looking for a certain shape that's going to determine a certain behavior. Amen? Now, watch this. Now, not only just the house we grew up in, but also the immediate area environment around us. It's called the culture around us. There were certain things that played an in instrumental part in helping to shape and form the way we think. That's why when we come to the kingdom of God, he says, you got to change your mind. I need you to change the way that you've been thinking. Can I submit to you that some of the things we experience in life are because the way we think. The way we think. Beliefs, practices, behaviors, philosophies, traditions, and lifestyles are the result of what shaped our minds. Now, so he says, don't be conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Look at the CEV. Now, all of this is about the way we think. The CEV, contemporary English version, of verse 2 says, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change, come on, the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. The God's Word translation says it like this, don't become like the people of this world. Instead, what? Change the way you think. Say that to the person you're sitting next to. Change the way you think. Say it to them again. Change the way you think. They didn't hear you. Change the way you think. That's important. That's important. You don't need more Holy Ghost. You just need to change the way you think. Amen? Then you will always be able to determine what God really wants, what is good, what is pleasing, and what is perfect. See, when God shapes our thinking, he determines for us what's good. He determines for us what is acceptable. He determines for us what is pleasing or perfect, what's pleasing or perfect. So God sets those parameters. So you go in the world, the world tells you, see, God says, this is not acceptable. But you go in the world, and you see something that God says is not acceptable, that is acceptable in the world. And based on who has formed or shaped your thinking, then your actions are going to be in accordance to that. All right? It's all about the mind. Say that. It's all about the mind. Let's look at one more translation. 
uh, the New Life version, verse number two says, do not act like the sinful people of the world. Let God change your life. How is God going to change your life? That's an interesting question. Let God change your life. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe God wants your life changed? I mean, somebody who's out of the will of God. And, I mean, you know, just think about when you were in the world. Do you think God wanted your life changed? Why didn't God just, just change it? He's God. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. I mean, that's some children you're praying for right now. Why don't God just change their life? Well, let's continue to read and see how this works. He says, instead... I mean, he says, let God change your life. First of all, let him give you a new mind. That's where it starts. You got to change the way you think. If your life is going to change, you must first change the way you think. Any area of your life, if that's going to be changed, you got to think differently first. You need a new mind. I've come to find out people don't need a new spouse in some situation. They just need a new way of thinking. No, because I've talked to people. I mean, they were just at odds with each other. I mean, I mean, talking about getting a divorce and so on and so forth. And after you go through a, a, a couple of classes and processes of changing the way they think, now they came in thinking they needed a new spouse. Now they realize all they needed was a new way of thinking, and those same two people are in love again. It, it may not be a new job you need. It may be a new way of thinking about your job. A new way of thinking about your church. A new way of thinking about your pastor. Uh -huh. Come on, tell your neighbor, say, ain't nothing wrong with pastor. You need to change the way you think. <laughs> now watch this. He, he said, first of all, let him give you a new mind. So it starts with a new mind, and God's not just going to take your mind and transform it. You've got to submit yourself to the process of the Word of God and let the Word of God change the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and the things that you do will be what? Good and pleasing and perfect. So I'll never, watch this, I'll never come under the authority of God's Word until I renew my mind by His Word. Now, the remainder of the way, I want to do something this morning. I want to talk to you the remainder of the way in time that we have about kingdom orientation, the necessity of kingdom orientation. Now, we all know about this word orientation. If you are employed with a job, if you become a part of an organization, so on and so forth, uh, you know, there is always this thing called orientation. And so we're going to look at orientation because when it comes to the kingdom of God, there must be orientation for the people of God. Because we come into the kingdom with an inferior mindset. We come in thinking a certain way. And if we're going to be effective in the kingdom of God, 
uh, we have to go through what I call kingdom orientation. Amen. See, we think because we are Christians, we don't need orientation. It's, it's, it's no different. You go, let, let's say you've been, you've been doing a particular thing for a number of years. You've been working in a certain, certain area, certain industry for 25 years, and now you get, you get, you know, you leave that place of employment, and now you're with a new organization. And you think because you've been doing that for 25 years, you don't need orientation. But here's what you got to understand. Orientation is designed to teach you their way of doing things. Not that you don't know the skill. They just want to show you how to use the skill here. Well, I've been doing this 25 years. Over there, you've never done it here. And see, we think, well, I'm a Christian. And just because you're a Christian, that does not mean you don't need kingdom orientation. And I'm going to show you that Jesus himself, who taught nothing but kingdom, who demonstrated nothing but kingdom, he took the disciples and those who followed him through a process called orientation. Now, now watch this. Watch this now. So, so let's look at, first of all, let's look at some definitions. I'm going to give you some definitions of orientation. Then we're going to look at the purpose of orientation. Now, number one, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four definitions of orientation. Number one, it is an integrated set of attitudes and beliefs. An integrated set of attitudes and beliefs. Isn't it interesting? People hire you and now want to change the way you think. Come on. Now, if you're going to have any kind of job, I'm not talking about a job where you just come in and do what you want to do. I'm talking about a job that's going to be meaningful. They want to know how you think. All right? Number two, it is an adjustment or adaptation to a new environment, situation, custom, or set of ideas. Number three. An introduction as to guide one in adjusting to new surroundings, practices, behaviors, activities, or the like. Orientation. Say orientation. The last definition of orientation is the adjustment, the modification or alteration, the adjustment or alignment of oneself or one's ideal to new surrounding circumstances, environment, or organization. It's called orientation. How many went through orientation with the job you own? Okay. And they could care less how you did something somewhere else. Amen. Because they want to make sure that you're able to adapt to their way of doing things. They want to make sure when, you, when, when, when somebody drive up to that window and, and you hand them a burger, it don't taste like your mama burger. That's right. They want to make sure when they pull off, they say, now that's a Big Mac right there. And not pull back around and say, what's this? And you up in there talking about, well, shoot, I, they don't know nothing about fixing no burger. My mama showed me how to make a burger. See, see this is a, this a real burger right here. 
Well, well that, that burger right there gonna get you fired. You can't make them like your mama made them. That's why you have to go through orientation. Come on now, y'all understand this. Well, well, see, this is how it is in the kingdom of God. And, that's, and see, what happens is, what happens is, many believers are orientated to a denomination. And orientated by a denomination and not by the kingdom or the word of God. So, so we've been orientated as a Baptist or orientated as a Methodist or orientated as Church of Christ, Church of God in Christ, Pentecostal, Charismatic, whatever it is. But just because I've, I've been orientated by a denomination, that does not mean I'm in line with the kingdom. And you have to be careful when, when my denomination conflicts the kingdom of God. Now I got a decision to make as to who I'm going to let shape the way I think. Are you listening to me? All right. Because, see, the kingdom is designed to bring us together because it's the interesting thing that when it comes to the kingdom, there's only one king. And there's only one kingdom. And so the king and the kingdom is designed to unify us and bring us into one, whereas denomination is designed to divide us and keep us separate. Are you listening to me? Now, so now the church is to express or represent the kingdom. Just because it's church, that doesn't necessarily mean it's kingdom. Now, now, now watch this. So let's look at the purpose now of orientation, the purposes of orientation. That's why you got to make sure that your mind is shaped by the kingdom and by the word of God. And people, you know, certain organizations, denomination, Christian organizations, they'll look in the Bible and say, yeah, but we don't, we don't, we don't do that. They look in the Bible. And, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't practice that. But it's kingdom. It's, we, we can't go against the king and expect his provision. Because it's only when we seek the kingdom and his way of doing things does he add to our lives. Amen. Amen. So the purpose of orientation is to, number one, I'm going to give you five purposes. Number one, to acquaint you with the new. To acquaint you with the new. Because everything is about culture, and when you come into something new, you go through or experience what is called culture shock. And the purpose, the purpose of orientation is to eliminate the shock. Amen. Amen. See, you can think because somebody's doing something different than the way you've always known to do it, that they're doing it wrong. That's wrong. They ain't, they ain't supposed to be like that. Well, based on what? Well, the, see, the way, the way we did it over there, well, you're not over there. That's right. That's right. Number two. 
The purpose of orientation is to assist with personal, social, and emotional transition and adjustment. Number three, to remove all ambiguity concerning the identification of purpose. See, orientation gives you clear definition of purpose for why you're in a place. Number four, to provide a well-rounded understanding of organizational opportunities and expectations. Through orientation, you get to know the opportunities that's available and you get to know what expectations you can set. And then number five, to bring about assimilation and unification. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter four. <laughs> now, I don't have a lot of time to um, walk you through all of the synoptic gospels to show you that Jesus practiced this concept of orientation. We'll do it in the next series. I want to wrap this up today on kingdom mindset. And today I'm actually going to show you how you can transition to a kingdom mindset. Uh, but I can take you through the Gospels and show you where Jesus, he practiced this concept of orientation when it came to the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to just show you a few, and then we'll, we'll move on. Let's look at Mark, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter, chapter 4 and verse 17. Jesus came to orientate his followers concerning the kingdom of God, concerning the kingdom of God. Verse number 17, let's read that together. Ready? Read. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, one and the same. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is what? Amen. Is at hand. Now, <clears throat> this is, there are four different dimensions of the kingdom of God, and one dimension is what Jesus is talking about now, and that's called the kingdom of God in the now. The kingdom of God in the now. We'll look at the other three dimensions uh, in the next series, but say the kingdom of God in the now. So Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene and he comes preaching. And in his preaching, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of God is in reach. The kingdom of God is now. Now he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh-oh, I missed the word. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does repent mean? Think differently, because the kingdom's here. So, so watch this. So, so whatever they've been doing, and however they've been doing it, and however they've been thinking, Jesus shows up before he announces the kingdom and first interrupt the way they've been thinking. He says, repent, reconsider, think differently change the way you've been thinking why do i need to change the way i've been thinking because the kingdom is here now the kingdom is here we're not going to be doing stuff the way y'all been doing it the kingdom's here now so you're going to have to think different in order to do different you have to think differently to do differently you have to think differently you you can't you can't change what you do until you change the way you think are you listening to me? So he says, think differently because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God 
is at hand. It's in your reach now. The kingdom is here. So he encourages them to change the way they think. Look at the Amplified of verse number 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, crying out, what? Repent. What does that mean? Change your mind for the better. Heartily amend your ways. He says, do two things. Change your thinking and change the way you've been doing things. Kingdom's here now. And our vernacular is almost, uh, Tyler, kind of like him saying, new sheriff in town. Mm. <laughs> now, now, what does somebody mean? What are they implying when they say a new sheriff's in town? Hmm? Oh, something to be different. New sheriff in town. <laughs> now, you know, some things going to change. That's what, now watch this. Now, they've been doing religion before Jesus got there. Jesus comes in and says, okay, all that religion, all that stuff y'all been doing, change your thinking. Kingdom's here now. We're going to start doing kingdom. We ain't doing denomination. We're doing kingdom. Because you're going to find out there are some things that are in the kingdom that may not be in your denomination. Matter of fact, you can really find out there are more things in our denomination that are not in the kingdom. And so Jesus says, new sheriff in town. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom in the now. The kingdom in the now. Now, let's, 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 let's move on. Let me give you five manifestations of the kingdom of God. Five manifestations of the kingdom of God. Whenever the kingdom of God is present... Whenever the kingdom of God is at hand, when the kingdom of God manifests in the now, you will see these five things. The first thing you will see is power. 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 Say power. 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 That, 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 that whenever the kingdom of God is preached, the power of God will always be demonstrated. Whenever the kingdom is free, you will always see power. Now, now watch this. Don't confuse emotion with power. Because I see a lot of emotion and no power. I don't, I don't want to see just a bunch of emotion. I want to know after all that emotion, when you walk out of those doors, there's a change in your life. I don't, you know, listen, I ain't got no problem with you running around the building, but when you're done running, if that's going to be a demonstration of power, there ought to be a change in your life. And see, the problem is we've confused emotionalism with power. And sometimes a lot of the same people that's emotional, still smoking, still drinking, still laying around, still sleeping with somebody else's spouse, still hanging out in the club, but then want to come back and get emotional all over again. But see, one of the manifestations of the kingdom of God is power. You know that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand when you got folk in here that used to be on drugs, ain't on drugs no more. That's power. That's power. I'm talking somebody who used to be struggling with their identity, now they're on the right side of the line. That's power. That's power. That whenever 
The kingdom is proclaimed. His power is always made visible. Amen? The second thing, let me hurry. The second thing is his presence, the presence of God. Is one of the manifestations of the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God is present, you're going to see the presence of God. You will sense the tangible presence of God. Now, we already have, because we're born again, we have the indwelling power of God, but there is another tangible presence of God that you can sense just in the atmosphere, just in the environment, and spiritual people know when they walked into a place and the presence of God is in this house. And it should not just be limited to where you go to church at, to where you serve at. That same presence can be in your car. That presence can be in your house. It can be in your shop. All of a sudden, you crying and don't know why you crying. That's because the glory and the presence of God is there. You know, in the natural, you can walk in somebody's home. And you can tell they've been burning incense in the natural because you got senses. And your sensory mechanism cannot pick that up. You can smell strawberries and, you know, you tell they've been burning candles. Amen. Amen. Well, likewise, <laughs> likewise, or Febreze. <laughs> All right, Febreze, y'all send me some. I'm getting y'all to advertise. Y'all watching me, where that camera? Yeah, if y'all watching me, you know, you're an executive decision maker for Febreze, then make sure you send some to Water Restoration International Church. P.O. Box, put that camera back on me, I'm talking. Send some, send some to Water Restoration, get, get close, send some to Water Restoration International Church, P.O. Box 569, Fresno, Texas, 77545. And, and watch your company take off. <laughs> but you, you walk in somebody's house in the natural, you can sense that. You can sense in the natural, you can sense when it's, when it's warm, when it's cool in somebody's house. Well, likewise, spiritually, you walk in somebody's house and, and you can tell what spirit is dominant. You can tell if the presence of God is there. You can tell if, if, if Jezebel is in here. You can tell if Ahab is in the house. You, you, you can sense the spirit. So I'm saying you can sense the presence of God when you walk in a house. That, that in your house, David said, I want to see the glory in my house like it was at the sanctuary. So don't just limit the presence of God to the sanctuary. Expect that same presence to be at your house. Number three, promise. Promise. I, I got to move on. Promise. Number four is provision. Number five is protection. These are manifestations of the kingdom of God. Manifestations of the kingdom of God. Now watch this in verse number 23 of Matthew 4. Look at verse number 23. It says, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogue and preaching, come on, the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the foundation of God's power, dominion, and sovereignty. When you preach the gospel of the kingdom, don't preach a limited God. Preach a God who's sovereign. 
preach a God who can do anything. Somebody standing before you with counsel. Talk about a God who can do anything. See, that's the kingdom. Preach his dominion. It's not on you to produce. It's on God. He, God has the power. You, you preach him like he, if he's big, preach him big. If he's strong, preach him strong. If he can do anything, preach him like that. And you'll cause the kingdom to manifest. Tell somebody, you know, like, like prayer, you know, well, let, let's just pray. What do you mean, let's just pray? No, let's pray something about change. Something about to happen. Let's pray. Some people I be talking to, they, they, they're just going, I said, listen, listen, listen let's pray. Because we, we need to get God's word on this. I haven't heard enough of your word. We need to get God's word on this. Let's pray. So it says that he was preaching the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now go to Acts chapter 1, verse number 3. Hurry. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3. Now, now watch this. Let me just give you something you can, you can, you can take with you. Watch this. Say the book of Acts, book of Acts. Is, the of is the kingdom of God in action. in action. The book of Acts is the kingdom of God in action. In the book of Acts, you see the kingdom of God in full manifestation. You see souls getting saved. You see the church growing. You see people needs being met. You see people getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Everything you see in the book of Acts is a demonstration of the kingdom of God, which is something that should be happening in every church. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Now, keep this statement in mind as we read Acts chapter 1. Jesus in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can see in every gospel where Jesus made reference to the kingdom of God. That's all he taught was the kingdom of God. That's all he preached. That's all he demonstrated was the kingdom of God. Watch this. Jesus dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. After he's resurrected, he's seen by others. While he's seen by others, Bible said in one case, 500 saw him. Other men saw him. Watch this. When he comes back, he stays here about 40 days in the earth after he's resurrected. He stays here in the earth for 40 days, and guess what he's talking about those 40 days he's here? The kingdom of God. He never got away from the message. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse, verse number 3. Watch what it said. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them, come on, 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I can show you where the apostle Paul, he taught the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And, and that's why our minds have to be oriented. Write this down, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ephesians 1, verse number 15. I want to give you this. Ephesians 1, I have to come up here so I can close, so I can end. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll close if I come up here. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. And why am I giving you those? Because when the believers at Ephesus were born again, Paul was excited about it, but then Paul began to pray for them. And what is he praying? He's praying that they get filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, here they are, new converts. Why do you have to pray that they get filled with the knowledge of God's will? He's praying that the eyes of their understanding be enlightened, that they may know the hope of his calling, that they may know uh, the glorious inheritance that they have with the saints and the power that's available to them who believe. He's praying that because at this point, just because they're born again, they're not filled with the knowledge of God's will. They've been filled with their own will. And now they have to think differently because now they have to have God's will. When we are not orientated to the kingdom culture, to the culture of the kingdom of God, number one, our conversation will contradict the king's language. Number two, our conduct will compromise the king's laws. And number three, our character will counteract, making effective the king's love. So the kingdom of God is not, a, it's not a religion. It's a system of power, a system of power. So how do we experience the conversion of kingdom orientation? How do we experience that? In other words, we started out with our objective, transitioning from one way of thinking to another way. How do we do it? Let me give you these things and I'm done. Number one, we have to submit to the process of change. Submit to the process of change. Change is a process. If change happened overnight, we'd all be good. Right? Number two, we have to allow the word to be the substance that causes the change. The word has to be the substance that causes the change. Number three, we have to take authority over thought patterns that are anti the kingdom of God. Take authority over thought patterns that are anti the kingdom of God. We see that in Corinthians, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of the word of God. The devil always gonna bring thought patterns that are anti the kingdom of God. You're trying to do things God's way, the devil sends a thought. And you have to be able to take authority over those thoughts. Number four, you have to incorporate God's way while abandoning your own. Incorporate God's way while abandoning your own. Number five, see yourself as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I, I've said this, I want to say it again. See your, don't just see yourself as a church member. See yourself as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Number five, number six, number six. Realize you are the community that is to embody the culture of God's kingdom. You're to embody the culture of God's kingdom. In other words, you're to be an expression of God's kingdom. Be an expression of God's kingdom. And then number seven, choose to be the agent that expands the kingdom agenda. Choose to be an agent that expands the kingdom 
agenda. Now, our next series we're gonna get into, we, we're gonna unfold and unpack uh, all the, uh, the particulars of the kingdom of God so we can get a working definition of God's kingdom because that's what we are part of. We're part of the kingdom of God. And God's will is to be done in earth like it's done in heaven. Amen? And, and once that happens, the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes. The kingdom manifests. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand for the word.